How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. It's that time of year. Cash the ticket. Jim Costa with Mike Valeni. We shift the focus from football to college hoops. Getting us ready for the tournament where we're going to break down all the matchups and have an eye on some future plays too. Search Cash the Ticket on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time to wake up. <laughs> it's five, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show, your early morning shot of sports on 95.7 The Game. Come on. Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Hope you're having a terrific Friday so far. If you're just getting off of work, congratulations. It's your weekend. If you're just getting to work, congratulations. Your weekend's just about to really get started. You just got one more day to get through. But good morning to everyone except for Oklahoma City Thunder fans. Yikes! Ooh, that's that's not good. Did anyone see what happened yesterday between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Oklahoma City Thunder? If you didn't watch the game, it's okay, because we did have a Thursday night football matchup where the Cowboys beat the Saints 27-17, to and I'm not going to spend the entire show on this, but the Memphis Grizzlies beat the Oklahoma City Thunder 152 152- to 79. To 79. That's the largest differential in NBA history. And they also lost on the road last year by 52 points, the Thunder that is. So now officially, the Oklahoma City, Sun- Oklahoma City Thunder have the largest home loss in history and the largest road loss in history. Just brutal. And the Grizzlies did it all without John Morant. If you look at if you just look at the box score alone, six out of the seven guys who played on the bench had double digit points. No one had more than thirty. I mean the highest point total was Jaron Jackson Jr., who had twenty seven. They out rebounded the Thunder fifty three to twenty six. They had forty one assists compared to the Thunder's fourteen. The Thunder had 20 turnovers and the Grizzlies had 10. And here's the big one. The Grizzlies had 82 points in the paint, while the Thunder had 24. My goodness. I feel so bad for Thunder fans this morning. It is not a happy Friday for them, but it is a good Friday for the Bay Area because tonight we have the rematch of the Warriors and the Suns, and the Suns are going to be without Devin Booker, who obviously uh, hurt his hamstring in the middle of the game on uh, or earlier on in the week on Wednesday. But we are getting that matchup, and I can't wait for it. 
obviously. And then we got the 49ers and the Seahawks um, later on on Sunday. Now, we will talk about all of that. We will preview all of that. However, I just wanted to really put a bow on the lockout conversation because a lot of people are asking questions and and I wanted to play some sound here to start off the show from Damon and Ratto they had on Tim Kirkchen of ESPN just a just a legendary analyst and reporter and then we also play some sound from Faye Vincent former MLB commissioner who was on with the morning roast who had a terrific interview I actually think just overall as a station we did a great job covering this lockout but We'll see what happens these next couple of months because I think it's going to be very interesting. Now, a lot of the question is, how long will this last? Will we lose games in the 162-game regular season? Will we lose games in spring trading? Well, here's what Tim Kirchin said on Damon and Ratto yesterday. I have to think there's so much money to be lost by not playing the regular season that somehow, some way, they're going to get this done. But the next two months, I think, are going to be really difficult, long, arduous attempts at negotiation because they weren't even close to getting it done on December the 1st. I was told by several people involved, you know, we're, we're, we just can't agree on hardly anything. And that that's just a bad sign. So I think it's going to be a long way until we to February the 1st. Let's just hope we get there and an agreement is in place. And I, and, and I think one of the questions that I was thinking about yesterday was if these free agents just don't get signed and it so happens that the lockout does bleed into the regular season, well, what happens with these guys? What happens with these guys? Because they can't have any – there's no activity. They can't do anything. Agents can't communicate with the teams. Now, the teams can communicate behind the scenes. There's actually – there's no tampering like in the NBA where – you know, you're, you're, you're not allowed to do things behind closed doors and not to the media, whatever, or else you'll get fined. But here you could still have talks with other teams depending on trades and whatnot, but pen can't be put to paper, signatures can't be made, I's can't be dotted, T's can't be crossed. Nothing can happen until they're ending with the lockout. So I think that's also another question that I'm really eager to get the answer for. When it actually happens when these free agents can sign the contract and get to a team. Uh, This season, Rob Manfred spoke yesterday, and he was saying that he understands it's, you know, how it affects the business side of things, and it's not good for their sport, but they can't seem to come to an agreement, and he doesn't seem to understand the players. And I think after seeing the reaction from Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, I think I've realized that the biggest change that needs to happen. They're talking about all these pitching changes. They're talking about um, they're, they're talking about you know putting a cap on the number of pitchers that you could use. Talking about putting a pitch clock there. Talking about expanding the teams for the playoffs so they can give more opportunity to the lower level teams. They want 14 teams in the playoffs this year. All of these different things are supposed to be talked about within the collective bargaining agreement. But I think the one thing we can all agree on is the only way that real changes are going to be made is if there's a change at commissioner. Is if Rob Manfred is not the guy at the helm steering this ship that is Major League Baseball. And this ship is going nowhere fast. It's in the middle of the ocean. It's not necessarily the Titanic. It hasn't hit an iceberg yet. It's not coming up on an iceberg. It's just in the middle. 
It's in the middle. It's got a vast landscape of nothingness. That's where baseball is right now. It's just it's just in the middle of nowhere, going nowhere fast because no one can seem to come, and agree, come to an agreement on anything. There's no destination at all. But with the players, everyone's asking a lot of questions about why the players are the ones negotiating in this situation, why the MLBPA and Major League Baseball are fighting. Well, here's what Tim Kirkchin said about the issues with the players. Free agency, as always, is a critical piece here that the players want to be paid before they get to six years of free agency because a lot of them are, say, 30, 31 years old at that time. And a lot of them are being left out of the free agent chase if they're not great players. And they have to wait six years, and then there's no payoff. So they want to be, they want free agency granted much earlier, such as maybe even three years, where it doesn't appear that Major League Baseball is willing to bend on that. And, you know, the whole arbitration situation is, you know, something that the union wants looked at, and Major League Baseball doesn't seem all that interested in that. And the union is trying to make sure there is no service time manipulation with young players. And the union is adamant that that has to be fixed. And Rob Manfred totally shot that down at his press conference. Completely shot that down. Essentially said he does not think that the players have a point. (laughs) He He thinks they don't have an argument with what they're talking about. that's where I just think we need to draw the line right there. Okay, Rob, if you don't understand what these players are asking for and you're not going to try and appease them, these guys that are, you know, it's all about the players here. It's all about the fans, too. You need fan involvement, and you're losing fans already with this lockout. I mean, yesterday yesterday there were a ton of conversations about whether people would actually bring their kids to the game, bring their families to the game. They can't anymore just because of how expensive it is to go to these games. But you also need to have the players, too. And he doesn't seem to understand what the players want, nor what the players need. It's uh, it it's just he seems lost, just so out of touch. Anytime he talks about this stuff, and it was the same back in 2020, back when we were in the pandemic, and essentially they were in not not necessarily in a lockout because you know moves could still be made and guys could still go to different teams and whatnot, but they couldn't meet up because of what was going on in the pandemic, and then they couldn't negotiate the prorated salaries the appropriate way. And it's all because Rob Manfred didn't understand what to do, and he was just a deer in headlights, really. You know uh, what, what? What does the Joker say? He's like, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a dog chasing a car, but I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it. And here's what Tim Kirchner had to say with David and Rado on how he tried to solve this if he were the commissioner. I would get everyone together and make sure they recognize how much money there is to be lost if they if this goes into the season. And I'm not sure this would do any good, but I would bring some older players, David Cohn, Tom Glavin, guys who've been through these labor wars to speak to the players to say, look, this is what we went through. This is how it works. And I just don't think our players today are really in tune with what happened before. And maybe they shouldn't be, because none of them has really been a part of a labor situation before. I mean, back in 95 and 2002, a bunch of those players had been through multiple work stoppages. And now these players, other than COVID last year, where 
money was lost and a negotiation didn't do very well. They've never been a part of this. So I think it would help if some veteran players would walk in and try to explain how things used to be and maybe the players could look at it and say, all right, maybe we have to be a little bit more flexible. So we're so we're focusing so much on the owners and the players, the owners and the players. Well, Faye Vincent, and I want to play this last soundbite as we put a bow on the, the baseball lockout conversation, but Faye Vincent on with the morning roast yesterday. It was an awesome interview. I highly recommend you go to the Odyssey app, download it, favorite 95.7 the game, do whatever you got to do, and you still have time to go hit the rewind feature and go listen to it. It was, it was at about uh, 7.40 yesterday, and he was kind enough to join us on really short notice. Um, but Faye Vincent, who was the commissioner during the lockout in 1990, had a variety of things to say, but this one to me just spoke louder than a lot of things that he said, but here's what Faye Vincent had to say on who really is getting hurt here by this lockout. This kind of economic warfare, after all, a collective bargaining breakdown is really economic warfare. It's two sides, each one trying to destroy the other. That cannot make sense or even harm each other. The one thing we know is everybody in baseball at the moment from the top down is making an enormous amount of money. I think the salary for Bud Selig when he retired was $50 million. I was paid 650000 as was Bart and Peter Ubrov. I think Selig's pension is $10 million. So we're talking about a business that is booming. I don't know what Manfred is paid, but he's paid an awful lot of money. So he talks about that. And then here's who he talks about with anyone who gets hurt here. I think that what's happened is that everybody at baseball is doing great, except the little people, the people who work in the stadium, the groundskeepers, Mm -hmm. the people who sell programs, the people who sell hot dogs. You know, when the season gets cut or spring training gets cut, the people that get hurt are basically the small people. Mm -hmm. The union says we have a huge a strike fund, we have enough money to take care of ourselves. Of course they do. But what about all the people who are tied to baseball and nobody pays any attention? Look around San Francisco. If the season doesn't open on time in San Francisco, you and others won't be paying much attention, but there are a lot of people that are going to be hurt, and Mm -hmm. they're not baseball employees. They're people who are on the fringe of baseball. Not only that, but restaurants around the stadiums, People who gain a majority of their income from those fans going into those games. There are a lot of people who can get hurt here much more financially than just the agents and the players. I mean, we were talking about who Chris Bryant yesterday and when they had him for, what, $650,000 or whatever it was prior to his free agency um, when he first started out. And it's like Chris Bryant... I mean, I know it's $600,000. It's not a lot in baseball terms, but just for the average Joe, for the regular people, that's a ton of money. That's a ton of money. So it's not just the owners of the players who are getting hurt here, but it's also the people as well. And then just the fans. You're losing fans. It's just hurting your product in general. Hurting your product in general. And when the NBA and the NFL both seem to be thriving, both with both in their own separate way, the NBA is kind of doing it more with with the 
social media side, whereas the NFL is just the NFL. The NFL is always king. So I don't know how baseball tries to compete while they're doing this or thinks they can compete while this sort of thing is happening. I just hope they can come to an agreement at some point. But I will say this after all of it. This is going to be the most that I'll pay attention to offseason baseball in January and February ever. January, February, I'm not even thinking about baseball. But it's going to be on my mind. It's going to be on the back in the back of my mind at least uh, as time goes on up until we start the we start spring training around March. All right, coming up next though at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero, wanted to get to what Steve Kerr had to say on the other side because he is clearly viewing this season completely different compared to last year. I want to get to the sound that has to do with that next. Stephen Lightfoot in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, The King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Hut one, hut two, hut three, hut! Nice guy, Steven, live and uncut. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Can't believe I just switched those lyrics to myself. That was off the top. Pretty proud of that one. Out of nowhere. I did not plan that during the break at all. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. Now, my main question to you, because I do want to get to what Steve Kerr has to say, had to say just regarding this season in general, plus some stuff from the Draymond Green podcast. But I want to know from you if the Warriors and this is a this is a doom and gloom scenario. This is a doom and gloom scenario. But I'm I'm truly curious here because we don't have um, we don't have tomorrow to react to it. You know, we're not going to be here on Saturday, not going to be here on Sunday, and we're going to be here on Monday. And I feel like it'll be too late to ask the question. But I'm very curious if the Warriors lose this game to the Suns tonight. If they do. They'll have lost to, you know, the best team in the NBA along with them, back-to-back. While the Suns just had a game last night against Detroit. And also are going to be without Devin Booker, their best player. What would be your reaction as a Warrior fan at 888-957-9570 if they do end up losing tonight? Would it be... 
Oh man, we uh, we're we're the second best team in the Western Conference. There's no doubt about it. No, we're still the best team. It just it, we've had an off couple of nights. It happens. It happens with the best teams. Like what would be your reaction? Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero at the text line or the phone number. My thought is that they are going to win tonight. They've had a couple of nights off and they've managed to come back home, get some rest. Draymond Green did, was he did a podcast with Andre Iguodala after that Suns game. Had a great breakdown of it. Draymond did the pod. They've had some time. And if they do lose, because the odds are completely stacked against the Suns right now. As far as the scenario in which you're playing... I'm not saying it's a must win for the Warriors. There's no, it's it's not a must win. You don't get to must win until you get toward, you know, the months of April and you start to get toward the end of the season. There's no must wins right now. But it feels like you got to win this game. You got to win this game if you're the Warriors when the odds are completely stacked up against the Suns and you ruin their 18 game win streak, which is what the 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 highest in franchise history for the Phoenix Suns if I'm not mistaken. A lot of a lot of history making last night within the NBA. I mean, the Grizzlies beating the Thunder. I'm not going to get over it. I'm never going to get over it. The Grizzlies beating the Thunder 152 to 79. That's just that's just crazy. A 73 point margin there. 73 points. I'm not going to get over that. But the Warriors and the Suns is going to be a closer matchup tonight. I could say that. I could say that with with certainty uh, uh, that it's going to be closer than that game. And and also, one reaction that a lot of people were getting, and these were just facts from that night with Steph Curry, when he was 4 for 21, only scoring 12 points. That, statistically, was the worst shooting night of his career. It was. When people were saying, oh, Steph had an off night. No. He didn't just have an off night. He had the worst night in his career statistically. Maybe not the worst game of his career overall because it was just a poor shooting night if you're just looking at the box score uh, in totality. But Steph did not look good. And the whole point of that in saying that is, and why using it to talk about Friday's game, is that it can't get much worse than that. As a matter of fact, it won't get worse than that. That's as bad as you'll see Steph play. And luckily... It happened in a time when you're early on in December, and these games, they matter, but there's not a ton of implication when it comes to the playoffs. But last year, man, maybe we got a little overzealous. Uh, Kenny the Jet Smith on TNT called us the most delusional fan base here at Golden State. He said he thought the Knicks fans were the most delusional, but now he thinks the Warrior fans are the most delusional. Well, no. We're not. I, I, I could say I, I truly believe that. However, last season, when Steve Kerr said that we're not chasing wins, when he was asked about Steph Curry's minutes and why he's not playing him for more than you know five minutes in the fourth quarter, and when he said we're not chasing wins, we went insane. We went nuts here. And Steve Kerr was asked about that from Damon and Ratto yesterday and asked if it's the same this year when it comes to Steph's minutes. But listen to what Steve Kerr said because maybe there was a point of delusion with us as Warrior fans last season. The point is, yeah, we were not great last year. We were in uh, development mode. We were in, you know, we knew we were without clay. We were in a position where 
you know, I was not going to burn Steph Curry out in a year like that. And I, I'm, I'm, I've always been very frank and honest. You guys know that I chose my words poorly because it, it allowed everybody to latch onto them. This is a totally different year. We have a championship contender. You know, we're, we're now in a position where we are one of the best teams in the league. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to win every year. But, um, you know, when you're in a position to win big, you're just – there's a, a, a fire that burns, you know, beneath you every day because you feel it. You're close. And, and uh, I think that's the sense this year. From the 415, just bring up the G League team for the 925 – Hit the panic button if they lose tonight. Key factor losing to a Booker-less team from the 702. Shout out to the 702. It is a benchmark slash checkpoint game. They lose tonight at home with the sunshine on a back-to-back without Book. And psychologically, it plays until Christmas. That's interesting. The psychological aspect of it. Like to me, if they do end up, you know, if they do end up losing this game, which I really think they should win, I, I really do. With with the Suns having played already another game last night against the Pistons, have to come to the have to come to Chase Center and try to beat the Warriors, who no doubt are not going to be sitting players like they did against those teams on the East Coast. It's not going to be like that. I have a feeling that they're going to be starting all five of their guys, no matter what happens. Uh, but tonight, if they do end up losing, I, I, I do think it's something to monitor, but I'm not going to be overly emotional about it. I think, I, I think I'm just going to be on, on the side of more on giving the Suns credit than giving the Warriors this, you know, this doubt that they can't be the championship team like Steve Kerr said. Because the way that they're talking about this season, we have not heard this for two years. We have not heard them talk about this team like this at all. You know, ever since they were starting, going out there with a starting lineup of like Kai Bowman and Jordan Poole and Eric Paschal when that season was really just lost. And then, you know, you had Steph Curry get injured and... Last year, you had Clay Thompson's injury. We have not heard Steve Kerr talk about the team like this. Draymond Green was on his podcast, and if you haven't listened to it and you're a Draymond Green fan, it's it's awesome. I actually call, I think I'm called Draymond Mr. Incredible because he uses that word a lot. He loves using the word incredible on his podcast. I think I counted it like 12 times during his uh, during his hour-long pod, but he is awesome. It's really, it's almost like, Somebody without having anybody ask a question, it's almost like he's doing an an hour long interview where he's just going on and on. You know, he just switches topics, says, "Yeah, we're going to talk about this, going to talk about this," and he talks about it at length. It's great. But he had an interview with Andre Iguodala, and besides talking about NFTs, which no matter how much anyone explains NFTs to me, I still don't get it. We had a guy at our station here who uh, was the the digital graphics guy, and he's a you know a Bitcoin guy or whatever. And I asked him to explain it to me. Still don't understand it. He sent me like an essay long text in a uh, he he sent me like an essay text uh, on the phone, and I was like, man, I still don't get it. Those those are way too many words and numbers that were thrown at me. But that's what they talked about for a majority of the time. But toward the end, Draymond and Andre. We're talking about how much this feels like those teams from 2016. 
Because in in 2015, eventually they figured out after a while, like, oh, we can we can we can we can run through some of these teams. Like we're going to be dominating here. But when it got to 2016, that's when they knew, all right, we're ahead of everybody in the league. And Draymond and Andre were saying it feels that way. It feels that way. It's it's a great podcast. I highly recommend you look at, recommend you look it up. But I don't think. We're at a point of delusion now, maybe like we were uh, the last season where we thought that this team was going to be making it within the playoffs. I thought they'd at least, you know, get a get the get maybe a, a six seed. I thought they could have done that last year, um, and that was probably a point of delusion on my part. But this year, with the way that this team is talking about the season. I think that as fans, we're not delusional in thinking that this can be a championship contender. Not at this point. From the 408, if they lose, then they will clearly be the second best team in the West. Clay puts them over the top. From the 415, to be the best, you must beat the best. If the Warriors lose tonight, Suns are the best team in the West. And from the 415 also, if the Dubs lose to a Bookerless Suns, Trey Lance starts the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> that's, that's all I know. If the Suns end up losing, or if the Suns end up beating the Warriors at home, Trey Lance needs to start. <laughs> but you are also right, uh, 408, talking about Clay putting them over the top. I think that's where the conversation officially sifts for me. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to think about this too much. I'm not going to overthink it. Um, at least how it goes in the playoffs and all of that. I'm going to be looking forward to Christmas Day even more, as a matter of fact. But the conversa- conversation would slowly turn from, can you imagine what it's like to getting Clay back, to, all right, we need Clay back. We need we need Clay back. <laughs> from the 707, they got the eighth seed, which used to be a playoff position. You're correct. You're right. You're right. But, you know. It is the rules with the play-in game, so technically it wasn't the playoffs, although I do kind of wish it was just back to, uh, you know, between between you and me, 707, just between us, I kind of wish it was just, you know, back to being the one through eight and that's it. None of this play-in stuff. I'm tired of this play-in stuff. I don't even know what the play-in game is going to look like next year. I don't know. I hope it's the Grizzlies versus the Thunder. I wish the I wish the Thunder would win more than six games so that we could see a play-in game where the Memphis Grizzlies beat the Thunder one fifty-two to seventy-nine. I'm not going to get over that. I'm not going to get over that one fifty-two to seventy-nine. Are you kidding me? And also from the four hundred eight, Moody and Wiseman. Wait, what? Hang on. We need Miles Turner. Trade Wiseman and others for Miles Turner. Moody and Wiseman. Sheesh, 408. From the 415, I know this will not be a popular statement, but please hear me out. I'm a huge Clay Thompson fan, but I think Jordan Poole is harder to guard than Clay because he's all over the place and can and can penetrate the lane better than Clay. Whereas Clay is mainly a pull up shooter for the most part. And I want to get to that on the other side because Draymond Green mentioned this on the podcast, and we'll also do uh, 49ers and Seahawks preview. Going to bring back the over-unders for this Sunday, because without Debo Samuel on the offense, I think it's going to be fun to play a little over-under on the props for the game on 49ers and Seahawks. But coming up next, right after the break, I want to get to what Draymond Green had to say about Jordan Poole when Clay Thompson comes back. Because I'm telling you, in this podcast, you're, you're, you, you, you'll you get all the information that you want on the Warriors and what the players are thinking. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say Draymond speaks for everybody. But when Draymond says something like this about Jordan Poole, 
I think that's how it will be with the team. We'll get to that next. Stephen Lankford on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Reminisce, reminisce. Damn, kind of an East Coast hip-hop day today. If this were my wrapped 2021 playlist, it would say my number one genre listened to is East Coast hip-hop, and then conscious hip-hop, then underground hip-hop. What, what? It's just hip-hop, man. That's all I'm listening to. It's just hip-hop. <laughs> uh, but good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. Hope everybody is doing well. Now, I want to get to Draymond Green um, and what he said on this podcast about Jordan Poole when Clay comes back, because I did find this to be fascinating, among a, among a bunch of other things. I mean, he has an hour-long podcast, and luckily Draymond's cadence is a little slower, so you can listen to it at 1.2 speed or 1.5 speed a little quicker than you need to. So if you don't have an hour's time, then you can listen to it a little faster, and it'll still sound okay. That's just a little 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 radio producer tip there. Um, but before we do get to Draymond Green, I got a text here from the 408 saying, uh, talking about trading possibly Moody and Wiseman, um, for Miles Turner. But, um, and he, and he explained saying, or, or she saying, they explained by saying the Warriors got exposed by the Suns and I don't have confidence in Wiseman. That's why I think Turner's our missing piece. Wiseman can't rebound and he's 7 1. Well, the only difference is, 408. I don't know. I I thought before the season that the money could work with Miles Turner. I was with you. Monty Poole from NBC Sports Bay Area wrote a piece about it. And when all those trade propositions were being thrown out there, right? When Bradley Beal was in the works. And then Monty Poole proposed Miles Turner. Now, I'm a I'm a big Miles Turner guy. I actually really like uh, Miles Turner and he has not been playing all that great uh, this season. I mean, he's still a great rim protector. Um, he can shoot the three, which I really like, and um, he's played in every single game, which you can't really say for a lot of that uh, roster uh, for the Pacers, except for you know DeMontis Sabonis. But um, the money just wouldn't work right now, and I don't know. I they'd probably have to trade more in order to get Miles Turner. And speaking of trades. ESPN tends to do these art tends to do these articles where you know it's five blockbuster trades that would change the course of the NBA, and they involved Demontis Sabonis in one of these trades, and Demontis Sabonis would go to the Warriors if you traded James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody. So essentially, you'd be trading all of your young guys for him. And, and and with Sabonis, I don't know if he would work in this offense. Uh, they 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 tend to run a slower offense over over in Indiana. I don't know if that would work, but it's just like, man, these trade proposals—they're all coming up, and the Warriors are at the forefront of it. And among many things that Draymond Green talked about his uh, on his podcast, one of them being the Warriors are now getting the best of every team, which is an advantage going into the playoffs because you're playing in 
playoff-like atmospheres every night. You're playing against teams who are going to give you 100%. For example, the Thunder. They didn't give 100% in their matchup with the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies beat them 152-79, to and they did that all without John Morant. Six of their seven bench guys were in double digits. No one scored more than 30. They had 82 points in the paint compared to the Thunder's 24. They were not getting their thunders, the Thunder's best effort. That's not going to help prepare you for the playoffs, even though it's the largest defeat in NBA history. But what the Warriors are getting every night, no matter who it is, no matter if it's the, the Suns, the Cavs, the Pistons, the, the Nets, the Clippers, the Lakers, whoever it is, they're getting their best effort, and that helps you going into the playoffs. That prepares you. And they also talked about how just they really have that target on their back, but they also talked about Klay Thompson and his return. Klay Thompson and his return. And a lot of it is, you know, either Jordan Poole or Klay Thompson. Jordan Poole or Klay Thompson. Is Clay Thompson going to be starting off on the bench? Is he going to be starting? How many minutes is he going to be playing? Is he going to be playing, you know, 20 to 25 a night? How long will it take to ramp up to possibly getting to 35 minutes a night? Will he ever get to that point this season where he's playing 35 minutes a night? I'll assume it'll take a little bit just to get that in-game conditioning there because no matter what, conditioning within the G League with Santa Cruz Warriors, whether it's, you know, conditioning in practice, you can't, it's very hard to emulate what you go through on the court. So I'll assume that the minutes are going to go up eventually, but uh, slowly but surely they'll get to that point. But here's what Draymond Green had to say about Jordan Poole's minutes because he's been playing very well this season. There was a little bit of a lull. There was a three or four game stretch where he just really wasn't knocking down many threes. I mean, he was shooting at a 24% clip at one point. But here's what Draymond Green had to say about Jordan Poole's minutes. Uh, what I do know is, and I don't know this because someone's told me, I know this because I'm not an idiot. Whether Jordan's coming off the bench or, or starting, he's going to play 30 minutes a night. And so that's going to remain constant regardless. One thing I'm excited about, because we haven't mentioned this at all, we, we always, you know, we, we talk about how, you know, Jordan Poole or Clay Thompson, either or. But there's going to be a time when those two are on the court at the same time. And when Clay comes back, I guarantee you when him and Jordan Poole are on the floor, I'm not going to say they're going to work as well as Steph, and, uh, as Steph and Clay do. Not saying that one little bit. But what I'm saying is watching those two on the floor at the same time and with Jordan Poole's progression as a player, I think they'll make for a fun duo to watch. Hell, I mean, you could play that duo toward the end of the first quarter, uh, going into the second quarter, whenever Steph is sitting on the bench, I think those two can make a nice little one-two combination whenever they're on the court at the same time, if they're ever on the court at the same time. So I do wonder about the minutes allocation and how it's going to go. <laughs> Draymond Green said, I'm not an idiot, so I know that Poole's going to be getting 30 minutes a game regardless, just because of how well he's played. But I'm excited to see Poole and Clay on the court at the same time. From the 510. What else do you ask? Nice guy, Steven. B- biggest reaction I can give is we're missing Clay and Wiseman. Big ups for the future. Dubs will adjust either way. We will prevail. Curry from three. Boom! That's Jafee from the stack from the 707. Why even think trade until we see what we have with Clay Thompson and James, James Wiseman in the lineup as well? I don't know. Is there any more fun hypothetical 707 than thinking of trades in your head? 
You know, because uh, they never come to fruition. They never do. I mean, very rarely. Is there? Has anyone in sports radio history been correct on a trade with the exact picks with everything? Has anyone ever been correct on that? Maybe, maybe a couple of people. Yeah, I think they'll trade him for a first rounder in this specific player, but. Rare is the time that someone actually predicts a correct trade. It's fun to throw out the hypothetical, though. (laughs) It's fun to throw out a hypothetical about trades sometimes. Although I think it is unnecessary, 707, like you're mentioning there. I think it is unnecessary uh, within, um, within the Golden State Warriors right now because the chemistry is there, the feeling is there, and if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I don't think if they lose to the Suns this Friday, we should consider it broke. I mean, maybe there needs to be some tweaks. Maybe, you know, you do need Clay Thompson back. You do need Wiseman at some point. Again, I'll mention this a lot, but I'm a little more skeptical about Wiseman's return. Um, just as little, a little more than most people because I just don't know what we're going to be getting from him. Last season, I loved watching him play, and there were certain moments at the beginning of the year where he was looking aggressive, and then he would go on a five- or six-game stretch where he just didn't look like the same player offensively, and he looked a little overwhelmed. I mean, maybe this year, the feeling's different. He's acting different. Apparently, he's talking a lot more within practices, being a lot more open, laughing a lot more, not taking it so serious. And that's one of the things he needed from last year, right? One of the things he needed from last year was when he wasn't confident, he just needed to loosen up a little bit. You know, put a lot of pressure on himself. And that's okay. As a 19-year-old, you'll, you'll, you'll tend to do that. You'll tend to do that. I mean, hell, you know, 19 years old for me, I was... I was, what, a sophomore in college? I was, you know, getting a 2.3 GPA in the first semester and then changing, changing majors in the second semester to the media because I realized, hmm, this athletic training thing, do they really want somebody going out onto the field to fix their ailment that had a 2.3 GPA back in college? Like, that's how I was in, in, when I was 19, putting a lot of pressure on myself. Didn't really even go to the NBA court. Didn't do anything professionally like James Wiseman was doing. So I give him the benefit of the doubt there. But I am curious to see what he looks like, just as much as Clay. And uh, that G League Santa Cruz, that that G League Santa Cruz Warriors game, man. <laughs> when Clay took the ball up court, pulled up from three to hit the game winner, everyone was going insane. But we also know that that's not going to happen at the end of the game, right? We know that if there's if there's you know less than 24 seconds left in the game, they got one more shot left and they need a game winner. It's not going to be Clay who's just taking the ball up the court and then pull it up from the top of the key. Just pop. He's going to be moving off ball, going to going to chill there the quarter, and then you know maybe move off ball a little bit, catch and shoot. Boom! I would like oh, God. Can you imagine? Damn, I'm getting excited now. Can you imagine a Clay game winner though? Can you imagine that? Damn. I mean, the introduction, there's not going to be any 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 reception like there will be when the intros happen uh, with the Warriors when Klay Thompson comes back. But can you imagine when he hits a game winner, if he hits a game winner at Chase Center? That'd be amazing. That, that, that's going to be an amazing time. 
gosh, there's a lot to look forward to this season. And I, and I want to play one more clip here because I love what Steve Kerr had to say on Damon and Ratto when we're talking about the chemistry when it comes to the Warriors. I would play something on Clay Thompson's return, but what I've come to realize is none of us know. We're I, I, we're we're not gonna know until we actually get an announcement that I, I don't want to I don't want to play any more Clay return stuff about you know his timetable or whatever until we get a definitive he's returning on this specific day I'm not doing any more of these Clay updates man it's getting it's getting frustrating because it's just like all right when's the time gonna come but Steve Kerr on David Adrado when he was asked about Steph teeing up that ref uh, on Sunday's in Sunday's matchup against the Clippers. While everyone was playing football and, you know, it, it was the witching hour on the Red Zone channel at 12.30 when it started. But here's what Steve Kerr had to say about Steph Curry teeing up the ref. I love that. that. That was fun. I mean, you know, when he uh, he got his, his little revenge, I guess, after making his third straight three. You know, Steph's an entertainer. We know that. And uh, that was that was amusing. I love that they can just let them play. Can let them play, and what I what I already played earlier was when he was asked about the chasing wins comments and why he wasn't letting Steph play with uh, uh, play that many minutes into the fourth quarter, and he was asked about his chasing wins comments from last year. He said, "Well, last year was completely different to this year, and this year we are a championship contender." So I think Steve Kerr's much more willing to tweak things in order to get Steph Curry on the floor because, after all, he is the best player in the world, despite what happened in that game against the Phoenix Suns. Although I will say, the the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, I mean, you talk about how Steph has improved on defense and has been, you know, up there in defensive rating, and he's been playing at an MVP level. Nikola Jokic did the same thing. The only difference is Nikola Jokic is also playing without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And with those two guys, you're not going to be, you're just going to lose some games just by default because you're losing two of your uh, guys who could score on that team. But, um, Man, I'm looking forward to this matchup on 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 Friday, and I just or I just like how they really let him play. They really let him play. But another matchup I'm excited to watch, and despite the Seahawks team just not looking the same, I am excited for the 49ers and the Seahawks in Seattle. Those division games just hit different, and it doesn't matter which division it is. It doesn't matter when it's the AFC North and the Ravens are playing the Steelers or the Ravens are playing the Browns or the Browns are playing the Steelers or whoever it is. Like Those games are different. When the Packers play the Vikings, those games are always entertaining. From the NFC North, from the NFC East, nah, I don't care. I, I, I don't care if they're division rivals or not. I don't want to watch any NFC East matchup. But when it comes to the NFC West, the 49ers and the Seahawks has always been a fun watch. But I will say I I understand the notion that you know this is a it's a scary game here because we're going to Seattle and division games are always different and Russell Wilson tends to kill us as a as as 49er fans. I understand all of that. But I think we also have to, you know, get a little dose of reality here and take all of that hypothetical stuff uh, out the window, put it out the window, whatever. Whatever, it's early in the morning. I can't really come up with metaphors here. But Russell Wilson does not look like the same quarterback this season. He just doesn't. The, thr- the He's clearly bothered by the finger, which is totally understandable when these guys are playing hurt. I don't think we give them enough credit for them actually going onto the field. But he hasn't been throwing the ball the same. 
He hasn't been, his escapability's still been there, but the speed to get around the edge and possibly get, pick up that first down, you know, like say they're in a second and seven situation and the pass rush gets to him and they collapse the pocket, he doesn't break out of the pocket and run for first down anymore. Like, it doesn't happen as often. If you look at just his rushing stats in general, I mean, he'd be nowhere close to what his season average would be at the end of any given season. I understand now he was out for a couple of games, but even so, even so, he doesn't even have 200 yards rushing yet in his games played. Russ just does not look the same. So I guess my question to you is, with all of that, and also understanding that they're not going to have Chris Carson, who just had neck surgery, and I'm, and I hate that because he's a seventh round pick. The dude, anytime he was on the field, he was a lot of fun to watch. But unfortunately, like a lot of running backs nowadays, he just can't seem to escape the injury bug. So he had surgery uh, on his neck uh, about a week ago. So he's not going to be playing in this game. They got Alex Collins as their lead back, who you know at times he can. Play happy feet because he is the guy who trained with Irish dancers to help his feet. Do you remember that? The running back for the Seahawks back when he was with the Ravens. They did a whole feature on it about how he uses Irish dancing to to get his feet right. And you kind of see that on the field uh, when he starts to make cuts. It's actually pretty fun to watch. But he had seven carries for 14 yards in the last game against Washington. And Washington's run defense... They're good. I mean, they got Jonathan Allen up the middle, and I know Fred Warner's not going to be playing in this game. And um, and you know, you're losing your star middle linebacker. Anytime you're losing your Pro Bowler, of course that's going to hurt you. Uh, but Aziz Al Shayer, I think, has been very good against the run this season. Not great against the pass. So I think, man, you can dare Russell Wilson to throw it. I just think the Niners are going to win this game. I know you got to throw the records out the window. Throw all that out the window. You're in Seattle. You're the 49ers playing Seattle. I get all of that, but I'm just looking at that Seattle team and the way they played this season. And I understand it. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, all of that. But I just think the 49ers can handle this team. I really do on Sunday. And everyone's going to, you know, the superstitious people are going to be out here saying that I jinxed them or whatever. No, I'm just giving you my opinion here. I'm not superstitious, I'm only a little stitious. From 408, I really hope a Niners win results in a camera shot of Wilson and Pete Carroll with the I just got kicked in the balls defeated look. <laughs> look, this is the time here, and I, I, I don't know. I This Sunday, a lot of the talk is going to be with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and their whole relationship. But really, this thing started going downhill. I don't believe Pete Carroll when he said there was no friction and there wasn't any meeting where Russ walked in and they rejected uh, what he was trying to what he was trying to suggest when it came to play calling and how to go up against these specific defenses. Uh, take his suggestions on the players that they need to sign. None of that's really changed. It's not like their offensive line has gotten that much better. I I don't think this game put a nail in the coffin of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. I think it really started from the Super Bowl back then when Russell Wilson is watching the Buccaneers versus the Chiefs, and he's saying, I want to be like Tom Brady here behind that offensive line, but instead I'm running around like a crazy person like Patrick Mahomes here just trying to do, uh, just trying to do whatever I can to make up for the offensive line's problems. 
Like Russell Wilson is sitting there going, I need to be like the Buccaneers here with the Seahawks if we're going to stick with this team. Not like Patrick Mahomes. None of that has changed. I think it's over for them anyway. I, I really do, especially at this point in the season when they're, what, 3-8 and eight on the year? I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just not as high on the Seahawks as everybody is. And again, the division game, I understand that. But I, I just think the 49ers, I, I really think they can I think they can beat this team. I think they're very beatable this year. And I mean, the one, the one change they do need to make is they do need to target DK Metcalf prior to the fourth quarter. I don't know what's going on with DK Metcalf over there um, in Seattle. But one thing I do know Guys like Bobby Wagner do get up for this game. Russell Wilson gets up for this game. DK Metcalf, slowly but surely, um, is creating a kind of a rivalry with the 49ers. I think he's going to be much more assertive in trying to get the ball. Um, but I think the 49ers can win this one, one simply because their run game is better than the Seahawks, and they will win that time of possession battle, and they will keep the ball out of Russell Wilson's hat, uh, hands. That's what I think can happen. From the 650, why don't you do Twitch also? Is it because not enough peeps behind the glass? Nah, I just, uh, they said I was too ugly. It's unfortunate. You know? <laughs> There's like, Steven, you're not good looking enough. You're not good looking like Bonte and Joe. They're allowed to be on Twitch and YouTube Live. You're not. <laughs> nah, is it, you know, maybe I should get on Twitch. Maybe I should get on Twitch and YouTube. I also uh, don't want you guys to see my reaction anytime I'm befuddled by whenever uh, whenever I mess up some sort of question or mess up a statement or mess up a word. Uh, like the time when instead of saying a throng of people, I said a schlong of people. I don't want you to see in my face whenever I make mistakes like that. That's really why I don't live stream. But Seattle are three-point underdogs. The over-under is at 45-and-a-half. I'd be inclined to take uh, the under here. I don't think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. I, again, I think it's going to be a time-of-possession battle. I think it could be a... How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. It's that time of year. Cash the ticket. Jim Costa with Mike Valeni. We shift the focus from football to college hoops, getting us ready for the tournament where we're going to break down all the matchups and have an eye on some future plays too. Search Cash the Ticket on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.